Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about communication. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you something that's really exciting. In the last year, our sermons have been listened to over 11,000 times on different podcast hosts. It's a pretty remarkable number, and we're really thankful for that. It's our goal that that number would continue to go up, though, and one of the best and easiest ways to make that happen is if you would leave us a rating and or review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. We would really appreciate that. As I say a lot, we think that our content is helpful to people and we want more people to hear it. And so please, if you have been impacted in any way by our sermons, please, please, please leave us a rating and or review. We would really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Hey, good morning. Again, uh, I taught on this passage several years ago. I know that's like cheating a little bit, uh, the passage I'm going to teach on again this morning. Uh, but I said this, and I think it's, it's so important. I'm quoting myself. It seems a little vain, I know, but, uh, but this is a Chad Harms original. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will ever hurt me and those around me. And I think that we kind of intuitively understand, just from living life, just our experiences maybe tell us that words can, can play a really vital role both negatively and positively in in our lives i uh i have the this there's this girl she's an ex-girlfriend and uh, uh from very long time ago and she changed my life twice after we had broken up and uh remained somewhat friends uh she changed my life twice with just mere words i mean uh there, there was one time when uh uh, I was just graduated from college, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I was going to uh, take a year off. I had been offered a marketing job that I was not qualified for at all, but uh, but I was going to be given this marketing job, and it would have been a good job. I was going to travel around and fill retirement homes and then uh, live in the buildings until they were full, and then I would move on to the next city, and uh, I was going to save money for a year before getting my master's degree. That was the plan, and and I was talking to Kendra on the phone and, and just, you know, the typical how you been kind of thing. And Kendra said, the chat I dated never would have taken a year off from ministry to, to save money. And, and, and I, maybe you don't know this. That's, that's why I'm here today. Uh, I, like, literally the next day was on the uh, Western Baptist University, uh, Western Baptist College at the time, I guess, the job board looking for a ministry job. And I found this little weird church named Creekside Bible Church that was looking for a 15-hour-a-week youth pastor job. And I thought, I'll stay there a couple years and deal with that. Uh, and here I am today, uh, still here. Uh, and then, and then later, uh, and my wife knows this, uh, Brynn and I, early in our dating process, I was, I was still on the fence about her, no offense, babe, but, uh, but I, I wasn't sure uh, what, I, what I was going to do, if we were going to stay together or we were going to break up, and, and I was talking to Kendra about it, and, and Kendra said, I don't know, everything you're saying about this girl, it seems like she's perfect for you, I think you'd be an idiot to break up with her, and, and I didn't, and, and I thought, I'll date her for another couple years, and then move on, and here I am, still married to her, uh, my life hasn't changed since that moment, actually, everything's been about the same, except for adding two kids, uh, and, and I look back on Kendra, uh, frankly, just, just having the guts to say something, but say something really positive, and good, and right, and 
I don't talk to Kendra anymore. I see her social media posts and that's about it. But, but she changed my life twice over the phone just by little one-liners. And what's so fascinating about those two things she said to me, uh, unless I recalled them for her, brought them up to her, said something about them, she, she has no idea. Like, she just was talking. She talks a lot. She just said something. She wasn't even thinking, I'm sure. But her words changed the course of my life forever. And here's the other thing, and, and I'm not going to tell stories this morning, but, but I can look back on, on words that were negative and hurtful, and those changed how I felt about myself. They changed uh, how I valued myself for periods of time anyway. Uh, we all know that, that some of the worst moments of our lives, some of the most detrimental things that have ever happened to us were were other people's words spoken to us. And maybe you don't recognize this in your own life, but sometimes your own words can, can set the course of your own life, just little things that you, that you say. I mean, I, I, a girl and I, a different girl that I dated, we broke up because of one single sentence, and, and we're not married today. One single sentence did it, and I can tell you what that sentence was. I won't, but, I, I, but one sentence, and, and that was the end of that, and there was no more me and this girl. And, and, and instead I married Bryn and so it changed my life one negative sentence um, the reality is I mean you think about I think about this like uh, there was there was this uh, fight in, in Wilsonville outside of Wankers a bar in town several years back and, and somebody died and another man is in prison for manslaughter and, uh, and I've heard good things about the man who died and, and actually somebody that attends our church was good friends with the man who is in prison now and he says that he's a great guy and I wasn't there I don't know the story really but I can tell you that, that what started it I'm sure is words and, and one life was ended and one life was altered forever a guy doesn't see his kids anymore because, because somebody started saying something right and that's the reality. It's a scary reality, but it's a, it's a reality and, and that our words will set the direction of our lives, for better or for worse, whether it's speaking positively into somebody's life and saying, look, you would never have taken a year off from ministry when I knew you, or, or whether it's saying, hey, you want to fight, you know, and, and these things can alter the course of of our lives, but, but there's this weird disconnect, and I think we all kind of know that. We know how a single word can turn into a major thing, uh, positive and negative, but at the same time, I think we don't take what we say very seriously, and in the first couple of sermons in the series, I hope that, that, that I've done a good job of showing how the Bible says, look, there's a couple things you need to know. First of all, we'll give an answer for every careless, idle word that we say. We will answer for the things that we say when we sit before the judgment seat of God someday. We're going to answer for them. That makes them a big deal, right? And, and I've also said that the words you say are indicative of the person that you are. And if you want to change your words, you have to begin to change your heart. And that makes them a really big deal. But in a practical sense, our words are a big deal because they're going to change other people's lives. They're going to change our lives. And yet I think we struggle, even with all that in our heads and in our minds and in our souls and our hearts, we still struggle to really think, well, it's a big, it's a big deal. What I say is a big deal. And this third passage we're going to look at, I think, is, is more practical than the first two. But James is again, I mean, going to show us that what we say is a really, really big deal. 
Uh, and again, I want to point this out before we look at this. James, in this little short book that he writes, he's talking about the practical application of faith. And you might know this, this sentence that James utters, faith without works is dead. And for James, he's saying, look, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, then it should change the way in which you live your life. And in every chapter of this book, he writes about that subject. James has something to say about how we communicate, about our words and and his longest kind of most intense uh, section on words comes to us in in the beginning at the beginning of James chapter 3 and here's how it begins now not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly now before you turn off and and say well I'm not a teacher I'd like to uh point out a couple of things. The, the broader application of this passage is going to apply to all of you, whether you are a teacher or not. And in fact, teaching is a great place to set it up because teachers generally say more words than the average person. And this is the other thing that's really important about teachers. Their words carry more influence than other people. Uh, I know that when I get up here on a stage, right, that people will listen to me and, and a lot of times they'll make changes because of the words that come out of my mouth. And, and that points to, it reminds us of how, how strong of an impact our words can have. And, and so just, just so for a setup purposes, it's a great starting place for James. Like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about your communication, but let's think about teachers for a minute. And the impact that teachers will have, and therefore, because of the impact teachers will have, they'll be judged, as far as communication comes specifically, they'll be judged more strictly than other people. That's what James is saying. But you also need to understand that at the time in which James writes, we still have much of what happened in the Jewish synagogue had trickled into the early church, and much of it was still being practiced. And, and you might know this if you've ever read the, the stories about the life of Jesus in the Bible, the Gospels as we call them, that there was opportunity in those services, those synagogue services, Jewish religious services, for people to get up and assume the role of teacher without really any credentials. And what's happening in, in the book of James to the people James is writing to, we don't know very many details about the situation, but what we can surmise from reading it is that there are many people who are stepping up in the early church like people would do in the synagogues and saying, I'm a teacher. And, and there was no formal process for that. There was no seminaries. And so people are just saying, well, I'm going to teach you about the things of God. And it is causing many problems for the people that, that James is writing to. Now, how does that apply to you and, and me today? And, and here's what I'd say. We live in a time where it seems like everybody, and I almost mean that literally, like where everybody thinks of themselves as the one who should be teaching everybody else. I see this especially in social media, and again, we're talking about communication, not just talking here, but, but, but I see this in, on social media. It seems like nobody listens, nobody wants to learn anything, but everybody wants to assume the role of teacher, and they want to look at everybody else and say, let me tell you all of the things that I know. I don't know if that's you, I don't know if you've fallen into that role, but, but if you have assumed the role of teacher, 
then you need to heed the words of James here who says, if you are taking that role, whether it's been given to you or you've just taken it, make sure that you understand that what you communicate is going to be judged more strictly than what the other people who have not made themselves teachers, who have not stepped up and said, I'll teach you what I know. You'll be judged more strictly than them. That's a little bit scary, right? Everybody I know on social media knows everything. And, and, and it's incredible to watch everybody tell you why they're so right and, and everybody else is so wrong, at least the people who disagree with them. And James begins this section on communication by saying, be careful because when you assume the role of teacher, not when it's given to you, not just if you're teaching in a school setting and, and, and you are called a teacher by trade because he's talking about people who are teaching that have no credentials, who have just stepped up and said, let me tell the church what we ought to do. And they're doing it terribly. And so if you're assuming the role of teacher, then know this, God is judging your words, your communication more strictly than if you're not in that role now two things two things that are really important one maybe you just need to shut up I mean that's uh, I mean and we talked about did we not see last week that James has already said that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and this makes that make even more sense if we're going to be judged more strictly because we're assuming the role of teacher then that means even more we should be really quick to listen and slow to speak but I think, you know, I'm up here. I, I think that it is important that we who are Christians are, are willing and able to communicate truths to other people. We are willing and able to teach in some ways, whether formally or informally. But when we do it, we need to remember the weight of what we are doing. We need to remember that what we say, what we communicate is going to be judged more strictly uh, then, then when we're not teaching. So where does, it, where does the rubber meet the road? If somebody comes up to you and says, I need advice on something, man, I, I know, I, if you're like me, I can just be so quick to be like, I got it, you know? But man, we should be slow to give advice. And when we give advice, we should take seriously the advice that we are giving. It's really important. And James kind of has this in mind, this teaching kind of thing throughout the whole passage, but he broadens the application and, and kind of at the heart of it is, hey, teachers, pay attention, but, but then the rest of us get a peek in and look and say, okay, well, here's, here's what he's talking about when he, he is talking about how big a deal our communication is. Listen to this in verse two. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check James does this interesting thing he starts with this almost you know this phrase that we understand like nobody's perfect he says it differently we all stumble in many ways but we say it like this nobody is perfect and that is true right but in our world this is so this is weird to me we have these things that we say even in Christian circles that, that have the opposite effect of what they should have when we say nobody's perfect usually we're talking about ourselves and, and we're basically excusing our own behavior right it's like well nobody's perfect of course I did something stupid nobody's perfect but when James says we all stumble in many ways James isn't saying hey here's an excuse to do stupid things to be sinful to to not obey God he's saying hey we all mess up and that should compel us to work hard to no longer mess up 
He's saying this in like the opposite way that we say. We say nobody's perfect. Of course I did something wrong. James is saying nobody's perfect. And so let me give you a little bit of advice on how you can move towards perfection. It's different, right? And so now I just hope, just one goal for this sermon here, is from now on when you hear the phrase nobody's perfect, when you utter the phrase nobody's perfect, it will no longer be this idea like I don't have to be working towards maturity, growing in my faith, all those things. It will become this thing that reminds you, oh right, I'm not perfect, but I should be working on becoming closer to perfect. By the way, the word perfect here is interesting. It means complete or expert or professional level at something. And so he's talking about moving forward in the spiritual life. Like, you know, I mean, professional, it seems a little corporate or whatever, but, but like, you know, moving in, in your Christian journey towards being a professional, towards being complete, towards doing it in an expert way. And he says, nobody's perfect, but here's some, here's some advice on how you can move towards perfection. And it's so interesting. You can... You can learn to be perfect, never at fault in what you say. That's interesting. And, and I think this, this is what's weird about this passage as I was studying. It almost goes two ways. For James, he's saying like this. He's saying one thing, and we've seen this throughout the, the, the series so far. Like, if you were to speak perfectly, it would mean that your heart it was so good, was so perfect that it was just overflowing perfection. If you are to speak in a completely mature way, it means that your heart is completely mature. We've talked about, that's the first two sermons. I said the same thing for two weeks. Like basically, if your heart is right, then what will come out of your mouth is an overflow of that heart and, and you'll speak what is right, you'll communicate what is right because your heart is right. And so James is saying like in one, on one side, hey, if your speech is perfect, if your speech is mature, if your speech is good, then it means that your heart is in a good place. And he'll come back to that at the very end. But also for James, on the other side of it, and this is what's so interesting about this passage to me, he seems to be saying, if you'll learn to control your speech, then it will affect everything else about you, including, I think, your heart. It seems that James now is taking what we've seen in the teaching of Jesus and in an earlier chapter of James where we say, look, the, the heart overflows, uh, the mouth overflows what the heart is full of. And now he's saying, if you'll start to say the right things, then it actually will affect your heart too. It goes the other way as, as well. And so James has this, this whole thing going here where he's like, if you grow, you'll speak differently. Your communication will be better. It'll be more godly. It'll be more good. But if you'll speak better, if you'll communicate better, then it's going to help you move towards the completion, the fullness, the perfection that God has called you to or towards. It's interesting because, because what he seems to be saying is that, that our communication can be a spiritual discipline, if you've ever heard that phrase, that will help us grow spiritually. And, and then, let me just listen to what he says next. I'm going to read a lot of words here, um, but, but pay, pay attention to these next four verses. James 3, 3 through 6. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow, it's a big deal. My goodness, and, and James kind of says the same thing three times. The tongue is small, but it has a huge effect on who we are and where we are headed. I, I, uh, I couldn't bring a horse or a ship in today, but I did bring a horse bit, and uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, seen one of these. I don't know that I have. I probably have in a horse's mouth, but never outside of a horse's mouth, but I was curious because I'm not, you know, a horse guy or whatever, didn't grow up on a farm, uh, and, and, and it's interesting, horses, I don't know if you've been by a horse ever, but they are large animals, and, and they're controlled by just this little thing that goes into their mouths. I was talking to my brother-in-law, who let me borrow this, his girlfriend rides horses, and, and she mainly rides English style, and, and, and when I picture horseback riding, maybe like you, I picture, you know, like Clint Eastwood, uh, John Wayne riding around Western style, as, as I've been told, with a saddle and spurs and, uh, you know, and you, you can kick it, you can pull it, you can do a bunch of stuff. But when they ride English, they literally have the reins attached to this, and this is it. And the horse does pretty much what they want it to once it's been trained just by being led by this little thing in their mouth. And this is the illustration that James is giving to us. He is saying that your life, in some ways, is being controlled, it's being moved around, it's being pulled by your mouth, by the things that you say. That's fascinating. I mean, he uses these other two examples. A ship goes the direction that that the rudder kind of points it, and then he says that a spark can, can start a very dangerous fire. We had a major fire here in Villebois this year, and, and man, I, I, they don't even know it started it yet, but it's crazy. There's no explosion. It's something small, and, and, and last I heard, they haven't found what that small thing is, but man, to have that many residents go down by something that they don't even know, right? That is an incredible thing, and, and sometimes maybe if we can just come take that and, and run with it. I think what James is saying is, is we may not know why we're struggling to grow. We may not why our, know why our lives are going in a certain direction, but maybe we should just look at, at the words that we're saying, the things that we are communicating, because it in some ways is setting the direction of our lives. James says these really big things that make the tongue and what we say and, and what we communicate uh, a big deal. First, it corrupts the whole body. That's kind of what we've seen already, that, that, that what we say, our, our, our lives will kind of follow it. We're going to kind of do the things that we talk about. We're going to be affected in all of our sin and all of our, our ways by the words that we say. And I think like, you know, if I can just uh, draw upon a, a totally different thing that's outside of our religion. There is there is psychology that kind of supports this, right? Like you you have these self-help people who say if you look in a mirror every day and you say you are valuable and you are good and you have worth and you're going to succeed, then you'll start to move in that direction. I, I'm not a self-help guy. I don't know how much science there is behind that, but some people swear by it. And it, and it seems to suggest to me anyway that, that James is right. What those people say when they 
write self-help books about what we should tell ourselves, that's where I would probably, you don't know, disagree, and, and we, I would probably not be on the side of the self-help book. But James is saying what we communicate is going to dictate the way in which we go, the lives that we live. But then, and th- this is even greater, I mean, he says, it sets the course of your life on fire. Your communication can ruin your life. I mean, I would just, hopefully you'll never do this, but just walk into your boss's office and just, you know, give him a sentence that includes a couple cuss words and tells him what you really think about him and, and see where your life goes, right? It's going to go towards unemployment and, and looking for a job. And, and, and if we can go further, like, I mean, just keep going down the line. Like, you're going to lose your job. A lot of people end up depressed when they lose their jobs and, and they're out of work for a long time. That's really common. It's hard to be out of work. I've been there just for a little once myself. But, like, it, you're now depressed and you don't want to get a job and you could be three, four years later and, and it's because you said, one line to your boss that he didn't like that's what James is saying one little spark of the tongue can change the direction of your entire life and then oh man this is bad it is set on fire by hell you don't really think about that when you yell at your kids, right? You don't really think about that when you say something mean to your spouse. You don't really think about that when you tell one little small lie. You don't really think about that when you talk badly behind somebody's back. You don't really think about that when you say something mean about somebody that's not true. You don't really think about that. But what James is saying is, hey, hey, I want you to know something. I want you to know who's behind this. It's Satan himself. Wow. That changes gossip, doesn't it? That changes yelling at my children. That changes being a jerk to my wife. That changes being a jerk to anybody. And you go, well, that seems overstated. But think about all of the work that hell has done through the tongue. I mean, let's just look at it in our modern right now. Currently, what's going on? There are people, we, we have, man, we used to pray on Sundays whenever we'd hear about a mass shooting in our country. We would take our prayer time and we would devote our prayer time to it. <clears throat> There's been more mass shootings than we can keep up with in our country. It just happens all the time. That's what we would pray for every week if we were going to continue that practice. And, and, and what's so fascinating about all these mass shootings, you can talk about... Uh, you can talk about mental health. You can talk about guns. You can talk about all these things, but... but what all of them seem to have in common is that they have read somebody else's communication and they've subscribed to that communication. And whether the, the person who wrote the words, the extremist group that penned the words, put them online, whatever, meant for these things to happen, I don't know. But, but the people reading them then go and do horrendous, horrible, evil things because of somebody else's communication. And, and it's easy to see when you take it to that logical extreme, right, that, our, that Satan is just, he wants you to say words that are going to lead to evil things. He wants you to say words that are going to tear down others and hurt people. He wants you to communicate things that degrade our culture. The next, the next series, that, well, the series I'm starting on September 22nd uh, at our fall kickoff is a series that we're just calling You Matter and, I, and I've seen in our country, the reason I'm doing this series is that, that our, our country and what's communicated now devalues life so much that people don't feel like they matter anymore. And it's not because of action, it's because of words. 
If enough people are saying human life doesn't matter, then all of a sudden we begin to think human life doesn't matter. And we see suicide rates up and we see mass shootings and we see people that just don't value human life at all. I'll tell more stories when I get to that series. But it all starts with our communication. And James is saying, look, it will cause you to sin more. It will change the direction of your life negatively. And you need to understand that what you communicate, when it's bad, when it's evil, is coming from Satan himself. It's a weapon of Satan. I mean, look, this is bad. What he says next is, (laughs) it's kind of like defeating, but we'll go past it in a minute, so just bear with me. But in 7 and 8, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue it is a restless evil full of deadly poison so he's like hey it's really bad so like you need to control your tongue watch what you're communicating and nobody can oh okay good thank you hey that's good i'm i'm glad that you did that to us james um it's a funny thing but it but it kind of makes some sense when we think about animals and we've tamed animals and I had a a 90-pound dog before he died. His name was Roy, best dog that's ever walked the earth. And the thing that made him the best dog is is how he was tame, right? I mean, if Roy wanted to, and I thought about this when we had him, it's one of the reasons I was so nice to him when he's a puppy. But if he wanted to, he could have just ripped my jugular open and uh, and and eaten me. I mean, if he wanted to, and and yet he slept in my bed with me on my feet every single night, and, and never did I think. I really hope I don't wake up to a dog biting my neck. You know, I never thought that because he was tamed. I last time I preached on this, I went back and listened and I was reminded of this story but uh, I went to a house one time I'm gonna make a long story short and and this guy had an exotic animal collection and he he showed us his uh his brand new panther which looked like it wanted to eat me I wouldn't have let it sleep on my feet I can tell you that um he he showed us and I've told this story before but his house cat was a a a bobcat bobcat real one. I don't know I was gonna say a little bobcat but it wasn't little and they told me I could pet it have I, I've told you this story before I think and and so I went to pet it and it snapped at me and they're like oh no you got to pet it like this which they should have I would have said that first probably and so I, I tried to pet it like they said and it snapped at me again and they're like no no like a little bit more like this and I was like nah I'm good I've seen it I'll tell the story later but then the guy takes us out to see his prized possession he has a Siberian white tiger and he gets in the cage with this thing, and the whole time I'm thinking, this experience is ruined if it eats you, buddy. And he's pushing this thing around, and he's wrestling it, and I'm, I'm just, I'm a worrier. I'm stressed the whole time. But he's in there pushing this thing, and the thing is just playing with him and having a good time. And, and that's exactly what James is saying. We can train white tigers. We can train big dogs. But on our own, we cannot train our mouths. And so what do we do? And this is James' kind of point, and this is what we've been seeing here in this sermon series. The first thing we have to do is, is we have to focus on our hearts. But we've said that a bunch, and I think what James adds to that here is that we need, this is so important, and it's going to seem so basic, and I hate to have such stereotypical you know, points in my sermon, such cliche things to say, but just this is, this is really important. I think if we're going to control our tongues, given that our tongues are uncontrollable and set on fire by hell, then one of the key things that we're going to do 
is we're going to pray that God will change our hearts in such a way that it changes our, our mouths. It changes what we say. I, I think that James kind of sets us up here. and I mean, he's like, hey, tame your tongue, but you can't. And it just, it leaves us going, well, what do I do? And, and the only thing we can do is turn to a power that is greater than us. I think if you're looking in the mirror every day with the self-help model and just trying to say, I'm going to say the right things, I'm going to say the right things, I'm going to say the right things, we're never, we're never going to communicate the right things, we're never going to communicate the godly things, but if we'll turn our attention to God and say, here's the deal, God, I'm not communicating how I want to communicate or how you want me to communicate, will you please begin to change my heart in a way that will change my words, then maybe we'll begin to move in a direction where our words are no longer are no longer set on fire by hell, but they are good and godly words that change lives like Kendra changed my life when she had the courage to tell me, stay with that girl and don't take a year off to make money. I think that, that, that one, one, we ask God to just really work on our hearts so that he'll work on our words. And we can even, I think, I think God will be okay with us just saying, hey, I'm saying all the wrong things. Can you just help me to stop gossiping, lying, yelling, saying mean things? Can you just help me with that? I, another one that I haven't talked about in this series, but I, I think is so counter what a Christian should be like is complaining. I think Christians are known for complaining. And when I read scripture, there's no verse that says don't complain. But I just, I, what, I, what I seem to see there it, when it talks about communication is that Christians would just be joyful in their communication and we would be hopeful in our communication. We'd be peace-loving in our communication. I just don't see a lot of room for being the, the people known as complainers. And if we could just start to pray, God, help me not to complain. Just help me to, to be joyful in my speech. And I think God would be happy to answer those prayers. I mean, we even have the promise that if we'll pray things in the will of God, then he will always say yes. That's a great promise. And we don't always know, right? Like, God, give me that job. God, help me pay that bill. We don't know if that's in the will of God, but we do know that communicating in a godly way is within the will of God. And so it would follow that if we'll pray that God will help us communicate in a good way, and to communicate good, then God will say yes to those prayers. And then, and then notice this, in James 1, 9 through 12, this is so good. Such a great ending. It's less defeating. It's less negative. I like it a lot better. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The last two sentences of those verses very similar to what we've already said. Uh, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, to use Jesus' words. The mouth is an overflow of what's in us, what God has done in us. But at the beginning of it, James says this really interesting thing that I think is important. He says, look, we're, we're trying to praise God with our mouths while at the same time communicating in a way that is negative about people. And most of our negative communication is about others, right? Whether we're lying, we're lying to somebody, we're talking badly about somebody, we're talking about somebody behind their back, we're yelling loudly about somebody or towards somebody to make them feel like lesser or whatever. It's usually aimed at people who are created in the image of God. And so James, whether intentional or unintentional, I'm not sure, clues us in on something 
that I think is so important. If we want to have mouths that communicate good, then we must be people who want to praise God. I think that that's a key. Good communication is communication that is driven by our desire to praise God, to show God for, for, for all that he is, to show God that we love him and that we value him, that we care about him, to praise him, to say good things about the one that we serve. Praise and poor communication, praise and ungodly communication, they just don't go together. And so we should try to have lives that are driven by the praise of God, by celebrating God, by talking good about God. I, I'll just, I just think about this. I think about this a lot, actually. Like, how often do you find yourself, how often do you at all, just say good things about God in your normal, everyday life? Probably not enough, right? And what if you just, what if the one thing you just decided, you said, God, I, here's, here's my prayer, God. I'm not communicating in a way that I want to communicate, but God, I do love you. I do believe in you. I do believe that you came and you died for my sins. And so here's, here's my prayer request, God. Make me a person that just wants to say good things about you to other people. What if we decided to try to have a lifestyle that was driven by saying good things about God? I'm guessing that overall it would start to change our communication. You may not know my story, you may. When I was 17 years old, I, uh, I told this not that long ago, but it's worth telling here because it connects to this topic, communication. When I was 17 years old, uh, I felt the need to confess some things to somebody uh, that I was doing in my life. I confessed him to that person, went home that night and, and uh, realized that I really needed to confess those things to God. And as I confessed those things to God, I just said, here's what I've been doing, God. God uh, whispered in my ear, yeah, and I died for all of them. And for the first time in my life, I realized what an incredible sacrifice Jesus had made for me. I always believed it. I, I believed from the time I was four years old that Jesus had died on a cross and that he had done that for my sins. But I didn't really understand the weight of that until I was 17. I didn't understand the weight of it at all. And as I've told you before, I, I fell on my knees and I cried for hours as I felt the weight of, of what God had done for me on the cross. I got up, I had no plans on living in, you know, a whole different life or whatever, but without trying, without changing, there was one major thing that completely was changed in my life, and that is what I said. I, uh, I've said this before, it's, uh, it's always a little embarrassing, but I, uh, I, I had, a, uh, had a pretty foul mouth. I, I didn't swear a lot, but I was, I was funny, and it was not humor that, was, that, I, would, that I would use here on this stage. Well, this, that's the most mild way I can put it. I was a very funny person in a very dirty way. And the thing that changed most radically and quickly when I fell in love with Jesus was that all of that humor no longer seemed very funny to me anymore. And, and what I said changed. And the reality is that when God got a hold of my heart, he got a hold of my tongue. I went from being a person who, who wanted to say things that were funny to being a person that wanted to say things that brought, brought praise and honor and glory to the God who had saved me from my sin. And, and in those early days, you know this if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, in those early days, it's so easy to want to pr 
to praise God. And so it just changes what you say. It changes how you speak. You're bubbling over with excitement about what God has done for you. And I think after you've been a Christian a while, you need to return to that and say, hey, God, make me a person that wants to praise you with my life. Because when you're driven by praise of God, when your mouth is driven by wanting to praise God, then you're going to communicate in a way that is good and a way that is godly. I'll just finish with a couple of quotes. Uh, George Orwell, uh, these are both authors, non-Christian authors, but George Orwell, if you've heard of him, he said, but if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. And then Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, he wrote, when you've said a thing, that fixes it. And you must take the consequences. What we say will, will it will drive, it will, it will move us like, like the bit in a horse's mouth. It's going to move us in one direction or another, good or bad. And we're not, we're not, we're never going to. We've seen this. I think this is the clearest thing we've said in this series. We're never going to fix what we say by just saying, let's fix what I'm going to say. <laughs> that just doesn't work. Instead, we need to be people who have a change of heart so that we can have a change of words. And what James adds to that in this passage of Scripture is that the change of heart needs to be a change that says to God, let my mouth be used to bring you praise, honor, and glory. And let everything else, God, stop coming out of my mouth anymore. And so I hope that when you leave today, if I can just give you just just like one thing to do, I hope uh, that all of us, that all of us would go home and we would bow and if there's any area of life at all where we are communicating badly, we are communicating bad, then I would hope that we would bow before God and we would say, God, please change that by giving me a heart that wants to bring you praise because a heart that praises God results in a mouth that speaks words of love and a mouth that speaks words of love results in a heart that praises God let me pray that you'll do that Lord Jesus I just I know God we can all drift uh, I mean people that are that are here that have been Christians a long time God um, they can drift and people that are brand new Christians can drift Lord a- away from from, from wanting to caring about praising you, but I pray that this morning you would draw us back, Lord. I mean, we believe in this thing that we'll celebrate as we do communion in just a few minutes. We believe in this thing as Christians where you died for our sins, God. And, and how dare we not want to use our mouths to celebrate that, Lord. I pray, God, for people who are here this morning, those who will listen online that aren't Christians, God, I pray that they would give their lives to you. Lord, I just think we're gonna always fight uh, we're never going to tame the tongue apart from you. And, and God, people, God, should give their lives to you for a million reasons. But I think one of them is so that they can communicate in a way uh, that is godly and not hellish. And so I pray that you would draw people to yourself. And, and for all of us, Lord, that communicate in a negative way at all, I pray that, that we would get before you, Lord. And we would ask you, Lord, to help us with the thing that we cannot, that we cannot do on our own, Lord, taming our tongues. And reminded as I pray, God, of the passage that says your power is made perfect in our weakness, and I believe all of us, uh, all of us have the weakness of communication. We communicate things that we don't want to, God, and we do it frequently, and so I pray that your power would be made perfect in that, and that you would help us, God, to tame our tongues because we cannot do it on our own. 
I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, during this next song, man.